0: Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. As CTSI looks ahead to 2021, we speak with Interim Executive Director Paul Ramsden about the Institute's aims and priorities for the coming year. The COVID crisis in many ways defined 2020, and while there are glimmers of hope and causes for optimism on that front, it is clear that significant challenges will remain in the months ahead. Paul discussed how CTSI is working to support its members throughout these difficult times and spoke about how the events of the past year have in some ways opened up opportunities for CTSI to operate more effectively in the future. He also discussed his ambitions to make CTSI a more inclusive organisation, with new approaches to membership and new ways for members to get involved with the Institute's work. Alongside this, he spoke about the importance of trading standards making a case for more funding and support from government if it is to effectively confront the challenges of the future. He started by telling us about how he got into trading standards in the first place and his journey to his current position at CTSI.
1: I started in trading standards back in 1991 and I responded to an advert that's on a paper um, didn't really know what trading standards was, but wanted a career which involved me um, working with people, meeting different people. And, you know, I, I went along uh, to this interview. This was in uh, Barnsley, where I can come from, and, you know, got exposed to this, you know, um, wonderful profession, you know, so interesting, so exciting, which wasn't just stuck in an office. And luckily, I was appointed. So I became a training training standard officer in 1991. I then did my training, which was part released down to Western Supermare, where I you know, met you know fifty-one other people that were training at that point in time. So I've got some uh, good memories and some good connections with people from all sorts of different authorities. And uh, and then I qualified in ninety-five uh, uh, um, at uh, Boundsley Train Standards and worked there for a little while before moving down to Berkshire. I moved from Hampshire uh, Metropolitan Borough, It's Brigade of Service down into. Uh, About, she was a county uh, level service, you know, a reasonable sized service, and worked in that training standards department, um, and progressed through the, the ranks. In '98, it was it was broken up into six unitary authorities, um, which was the same, but reflects you know what's happened around the country, and created these six unitary authorities. And I moved to Bratton Forest, uh, where I led the uh, training standards and licensing function, to the licensing function from environmental health and uh, and brought some rigor to that. And then I moved to TSI as it was then in 2003. I was deputy CEO there for six years before leaving there for a chief exec job um, out in the voluntary sector. And I've been um, chief exec of voluntary sector charitable business for the last uh, 11 years. In that time period, you know, I never never lost my, you know, desire and, and my attraction for um, standards and did many different roles on different boards where I had that sort of consumer protection trading standards role, including six years um, on the board of CTSI, three years as chair of the Audit and Finance Committee, um, which applied my talents to that. And then clearly recently, you know, with uh, the loss of both executive directors at, uh, at CTSI, there was a, there is a gap. Uh, and given my background and experience and given also the fact that COVID had hit, you know, the charitable business that um, I lead, you know, that gave me some capacity uh, because we were treading water. I said that actually two and a half days a week, you know, I could commit to actually helping CTSI out and uh, and stepping into that interim role uh, to be able to lead and provide, I suppose, some stability for the organisation and some leadership so that Again, we didn't just um, either just dip or, or tread water, but we actually grabbed the opportunities that were going, and we provided the leadership, you know, for the profession
2: that was was and is needed. Presumably, it's a particularly difficult time to be at the helm of an organisation like CTSI with everyone working remotely. I think that it is very difficult. I think there are lots of opportunities with this new um, online
1: world. That again. Where we're desperately trying to exploit so it is um being able to keep up with people and to be able to i suppose pack things in so one of the biggest challenges that you know i've got is around my capacity and what i want to do is um i'm not interested in just uh, keeping things afloat i'm interested in doing things so that's 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 my personal you know agenda is to actually move things on so, and it's how you can do that capacity. So I think exploiting the online world and the virtual world that we've created has been something that CTSI generally has done, you know, in relation to things like moving the symposium into virtual event, But, you know, I've used as well. What i found is it's, it's all well and good, but there are times that actually you do really need to, you know, meet somebody in a room and everything, you know, so it's trying to get that mix. And so therefore, we have had a Situation where I managed to open up the office a bit and be able to meet some colleagues, some some staff members in the office. And that's been, that's again been really quite useful. So we've got that bit of a a mix and match. It has been difficult, clearly, you know, for all businesses. And it's been difficult for for the staff because we all look at our personal circumstances and how we can work from home because we may have rooms available, but other people haven't got rooms available. So I think there's been a big concern for me in relation to. The mental health of the staff, and so therefore the impact upon them. You know, but equally the the fear factor as to you know whether they want to leave the house or, or not. It's it's been challenging from that point of view, and I think also there's been lots of challenges for the organisation in relation to how it's been able to cope with you know suddenly being thrust into this home working environment. You know, and again similar to lots of businesses, how quickly we can react to that, and that's caused some you know challenges as to you know. With, with IT, with telephony. And we've sort of come out of that that sort of storm and got to a, a, a sensible way of operating. We, we clearly like to move to a situation where we're in this sort of lockdown situation and we could actually get back to some kind of normal working and that will continue to have uh, create pressures within the organisation. But then we do have a few people that are at distance anyway. We have people that are in Northern Ireland and, and in Scotland you know, so we've got a little bit of a history of actually working with people at a distance. And what we managed to do is is quite quite good compared to what the alternative would have been. You know, so when we look at some of the training courses that we managed to put on, by moving them to a virtual platform, we made them much more accessible to a lot more people. So we've got like 2,000 people trained virtually uh, through these different medium now, actually, and we've had some fantastic things like over 500 people on on metrology and product safety. So there's some real lessons for the future. Actually, this virtual learning and everything is something I think that will stay with us. You know, even on the qualifications, and not having to drag people from Scotland down to Carrington to be able to do their professional examinations, saving that time is a benefit to people. And so I think it's really pushed us and there's been a real challenge as to how to respond to it. And I think generally the organisation is responding well now actually.
2: Do you think the Covid crisis has served in some ways to highlight the importance of trading standards?
1: I think it has, but I, think, I don't think that's a universal picture unfortunately. I think there's, you know, there's certainly things that at uh, CTSI we're, we're trying to do, we have tried to highlight, and we're going to do some more work in the new year to be able to try and capture some of this information to bring it out, actually. For me, it's a, it's a, it's a normal situation that, uh, for instance, is that service which performs excellently in a crisis situation. Uh, and, of course, we have a perfect storm now because we have a crisis, you know, given... What's going to happen with the EU exit? We're still in the middle of this pandemic crisis. And we've also got things like avian flu you know, are coming around. So th- there is a real sort of perfect storm here and everything. And, th- and there is a it's a positive thing in one respect, you know, because like you say, it gives us opportunity to be able to demonstrate that, you know, uh, the worth of, of, of the profession. And, you know, I know that some authorities have really done quite a lot in that area and have been recognised for it. Um, I see. Think other comments have been that actually they've got on with it and they've not received the credit. You know, so other people within local authority have been given some credit and and funding. More importantly, um, that training standards have haven't uh, haven't guys been taken for granted. And I think there's still some work to do to be able to help training standards professionals to be able to have that narrative and uh, have that conversation. You know, perhaps with you know elected members and the like about you know. What is the difference they make? What is it? And it's not just about responding in a a crisis situation. It's all the other work that goes on, which is behind the scenes. And that's one of the biggest problems, I think, that we have with, you know, trading standards is that, the benefit is felt but people don't realize what the benefit is it's making sure things actually work effectively you know that that there isn't the, the big consumer detriment in that particular area you know that it is about the, the local economy so it's all stuff which is very difficult to try and pin down whereas in other you know local authority regulatory functions it's a lot more tangible not not more easy to understand and I just feel that trade standard loses out from that point of view but there's a wider wider piece here that we've got to work on. I think to be able to help, you know, people working local, local trade standards, to be able to have those conversations with the right sort of the people, um, as to we're not just here for crisis. We're here. The rest of the stuff gets done as well, and we establish you know rogue free zones etc you know but, but you know, it's, it's all the, the, the full picture of things which we'll be testing out with EU exit as to you know the goods the product safety elements the food on our plates and everything you know what are the standards who upholds these standards and who enforces them and that's coming out to trading standards and if people don't invest them then there'll be problems later on down the line and that could be too late and
2: that's that's one of the issues. What has CTSI done during the trials of the past year to support its members?
1: It's a really difficult one. and This is back to the,
2: you know, what's the
1: purpose of CTSI? A lot of times people reach out to a professional body and, you know, and there is an element of being able to signpost to other services. You know, looking at, you know, there was support networks clearly um, within local authorities for a whole range of issues. So I think CTSI as a professional body is a case of what can we do to be able to help, you know, your life, your work better. And I know there are, there are lots of challenges and this is where we have difficulty because we can't sort of influence some of the operational decisions taken at local authority. And I know people are struggling because they want to do the job and they're not allowed to do the job as such because of the policies come through from the local authority because they sit within the local authority, you know, sort of policy arena. In relation to doing a job, you know, there are various things, you know, and, and we've, we've operated open surgeries in relation to uh, this sort of COVID response to try and give you know some kind of consistency. I think because that's one of the key things here. Whilst we've got all these different local authorities with their own little policy environments, we also want to make sure that from a trade standards' point of view, we have a consistent environment. Particularly because you know businesses, obviously, and consumers operate across boundaries. Uh, and so local authorities do tend to focus very much on their communities, as you'd expect them they, um, to do so. But actually, the impact of what consumers and businesses do is is across across those borders, actually, into other territories. So one of the things that we've been very keen on is being able to respond to that and try and create
2: services that that will will help, specifically around the COVID situation at these surgeries aside from covid another issue that various members have highlighted in the past year has been around equality and inclusion what has been done to make ctsi more forward thinking in this respect one of the things that you know
1: when we talk about ctsi i think for me it's making sure that we we understand what we're talking about and it's that that wide profession that's that membership resource one of the things that we we exploit that properly it's, we actually look at the expertise and the interest that comes from our members and we use the information that they provide to us and we help and, and we shape that. So clearly there's a, there's a big issue about the George Floyd situation in the US, which is impacted in the UK and, and raised the specter of treatment of people in, uh, you know, in the BAME communities. And you know, what's been really nice actually is, again, we've got members out there that are willing to bring this to the fore and to you know try and you know influence exactly where the institute is and make sure that as an institute all our you know policies and procedures recognise you know that the, the treatment and the bias um, and discrimination that can occur and and we play our part in making sure that uh, you know we do everything possibly to you know stop that and uh, to prevent it from occurring so what's been really positive is that we've you know formed this uh, new race and equalities group and i think it's i think it's clear about it. it's it's possibly it won't be even wider than that it's, it's about diversity you know because already as a profession we've got quite a bit of diversity but a lot of the time, it doesn't feel like we completely embrace and recognize that. And so one of the things that, you know, I want to do is be able to, be able to profile that a lot more. Because it does feel a little bit sometimes like we we only use the same people for the same things over and over again. And one of the nice things about the Rest and Qualities Group is there's various people, there's various contributors that have stepped forward to be on that group. And people that, you know, just generally speaking, haven't, you know, come forward for other, other issues. So it's to be able to give them a voice, um, and that again, that's for me, that highlights the strength of the profession that we actually give people a voice, and you know, and we develop them. You know, so we've got some people on there uh, fairly, fairly young, which again is that uh, you, we see a lot of the times that uh, it's, it's older, you know, possibly white, you know, middle class sort of. People you know, talking and everything. Yet, actually, we've got a lot more diversity already in there. And I just see that this is a this is a rolling program. Is that the more that we can represent the diversity that we already got within the profession, the more likely we are to be able to attract that greater diversity. You know, which is great because you know if we're going to work effectively in communities. You know, then we've got to reflect what those communities look like. And that's the best way of achieving it. So I think it's a, there's a real positive, actually. I think that the race inequalities you know, work and the diversity work that's going to come out of there, I think is quite a positive thing. And it will feed into all sorts of other elements of uh, the profession as we look to, you know, communicate more effectively and profile people in these different roles.
2: So away from the difficulties of the past year, what are the causes for optimism? What initiatives are you keen to instigate? What messages are you keen to promote to CTSI members?
1: My key message at the moment is about how important membership is and being able to demonstrate as part of being a member of CTSI that that professionalism. And I think that's a message that's probably got lost a little bit um, over a number of years. There's not been a strong focus on membership. And uh, members probably quite rightly probably feel that they've been taken for granted, and we need to reverse that. What I'm really pleased about is that that there's there's an awful lot of people that that you know still want to engage and um, haven't lost the faith. We've got situations where. You know, recently we had, you know, seven people put themselves forward for three nationally elected members post on council, you know, and, and some new people in there. And that's to be really sort of applauded and encouraged. So we've got lots of, um, lots of indications that, uh, you know, there is a willingness there uh, and we need to build upon that. But we need to, we say, not take it for granted. We need really focus on it and be very really clear about what the, Tangible and intangible benefits of belonging to CTSI. Uh, and I tried to bring that out now, you know, as it come to uh, sort of renewal time and everything. And there are various other bits and pieces that we should do. One of the things that I'm very keen to do is to uh, change the website and move that into the website that you expect from your professional institute. It's a, it's a membership, you know, driven thing and some of the communications. We've got different audiences, you know, at different times and everything. But I think membership has you know, been overshadowed by some of our other messaging and some of our other audiences. So whilst we think sometimes we're actually uh, pushing some of out for members, actually members for, for some reason have become a secondary or third sort of priority for us, which, you know, I don't think is right and probably indicates where we are in relation to that membership engagement. It's critical that members have the support, you know, not only from CTSI from a national perspective, through boards, through council, through you know, the executive, but also get the, the support at sort of regional branch level as well, actually. And uh, yeah, a lot of people get an awful lot from their local branches and that strength in the branches is a is a critical factor. And we've got a bit of a postcode lottery in relation to that around the country. And again, we need to do more, see if we can do more, you know, engage more with people at those different levels to try and, you know, help assist them as to you know, what's actually happening in their localities, what needs to change and you know what the purpose of the branch is. I think that over times there's been a little bit of conflict between branch and regions. I think the ones that have been successful is where they've actually managed to figure out their relationship and what how they exist and you know, coexist alongside each other. And so therefore, again, it's not just something that I, should, I think we should have left. We should have actually done be more proactive. One of my key things is about Membership, and of course, that then spreads across the organisation is to everything that we do. We've got to make sure that CTSI is actually relevant on a day-to-day level with a whole range of people, and we've done that, you know, quite readily in relation to our training events that we've put on. But it's also about then also looking at leaders within the service as well and how we can support them. So we've got to look at it and uh, stand back and plan, you know, but also working with the societies as well. And not just leaving everything for, to them, making sure that you know we've got the same sort of messages. We aren't in conflict with uh, with some of their messages uh, that go out, so we can work uh, you know a little bit more harmoniously, I suppose, uh, with them. But yeah, there's um, there's an awful lot of things that CTSI could be, and I see that potential. At the moment, it's about you know stepping up to that plate, really analyzing the, the the situation and, and not. Not worrying too much about you know what's happened in the past but actually what will happen in the future and i say that's part of the thing about you know producing this new service for local authority also being into business as well there's a lot more to do with business that we could do there's a lot more about membership about opening up membership to people that work in a profession and it was a danger that we become some kind of exclusive club and I feel that actually we want to be an inclusive club and we just need to work at and, and some of those things may be a bit difficult and because they're difficult we shouldn't shy away from them and we should work at those things to make sure that everybody who works in trade Standards no matter what their role is you know has a part to play within the institute and that will make us stronger so it's all about those links And making sure there isn't an us and them culture, you know, that people understand, you know, where the roles are um, and what they can contribute. And unpacking some of the things. How do you get involved? How do you become a lead officer? How do you contribute articles? How do you profile what's actually happening? And we can get complacent and think, well, people must know and they would reach out. And I think as an organisation, we need to do more to be able to give people the, the information about what it is that we would like to do and how we're going to use that information uh, you know, to betterment of the whole profession.
0: Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to Paul Ramsden for speaking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to made to measure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.